0: If have a Bible with you, you can turn it to First Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, after the Gospels, after Acts, after Romans, in the New Testament. This is what it says, now brothers, I want to remind you of the Gospel that I preached to you. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. That he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. That's a reference for death. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as of one abnormally born. then we're just going to skip ahead to verse 11. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you have believed. But, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. And I hope we don't stop reading there. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The Word of the Lord. Pray with me one more time, Father. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear your word and that you would help us to understand the magnitude of the resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace and your supernatural power that is available to us today as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week I was away and and Pastor Bonnie started us off looking at John... 3, 16, and 17. We're focusing on the resurrection of Jesus this season. And i got to tell you, most Christians are really comfortable with Jesus' teaching, even though some of it's hard. Most Christians are comfortable with Jesus' teaching. He was a good teacher. There's some good moral stuff there. There's some hard stuff that we don't always understand. But for the most part, it's good stuff. We're also comfortable with the the crucifixion. Although it's bloody and gory and and, kind of gross, we understand that Jesus died for our sins, and we like that because it means that we can be forgiven. And that's, that's a great thing. And so we're fairly comfortable and confident with the crucifixion. Where we start to get a little fuzzy is with the resurrection. Because that's kind of like weird and goes against everything that we kind of understand about nature and, and what we, we see and have witnessed in our lives, we know lots of people who have died and they don't come back to life. And so to claim that Jesus died and then came back to life, it sounds hard. It sounds weird. And, and some of us might even say, you know, why do I have to believe this part? Can't we just leave it with, he died for my sins and that's good? And and I want to acknowledge that there are some people here today who are probably just thinking that themselves. Thinking, you know what, I can get the crucifixion, but Brian, when you talk about the resurrection, it just sounds weird. Others of us, we understand, we do believe in the resurrection. But we have found ourselves facing people in our community who mock us or who make fun of us for believing in the resurrection because they don't totally understand it either. And so they'll say something like, well, you Christians, you believe in some sort of a a zombie Jesus or, or a ghost story. And we go, no, it's not that, but I can't really totally explain what it is because it's so different than what we normally experience in our lives. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at some of the evidence for the resurrection. Whether that is for you, and to to encourage your faith in the resurrection, or whether that is for you to share with someone else in your life who has these questions. And maybe we can help you have a few answers. The Apostle Paul wrote, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. He puts the emphasis on the resurrection. i got to tell you, for years I thought that the crucifixion was the biggest part of Christianity. And don't get me wrong, Jesus' sacrificial death for us, which is foreshadowed through the Passover, and it's just a beautiful understanding of us being made one with Christ, and Jesus taking on our sin, is huge and so important. And we'll talk about that a little bit more on Good Friday. But i got to tell you, if we leave it with the crucifixion and we don't get the resurrection, if Jesus never was resurrected, then the crucifixion means absolutely nothing. Because if we still believe that Jesus just died and was buried in a tomb somewhere, then there is nothing about the crucifixion that makes any sense. The resurrection is God putting his stamp of approval on Jesus. The resurrection is God saying, in Jesus, I am showing you my love. What happened on the cross is true because of the resurrection. And so that's why we need to understand and just get our heads around this understanding that Jesus rose from the dead. Michael Green wrote in a book called Man Alive these words. Christianity does not hold the resurrection to be one among many tenets of belief. Without faith in the resurrection, there would be no Christianity at all. The Christian church would never have begun and the Jesus movement would have fizzled. Christianity stands or falls with the truth of the resurrection. Once you disprove the resurrection, you have disposed of Christianity. And so... For the next few minutes, I want to look at three parts of evidence that show the validity of the resurrection. And then we're going to look at some of the objections of those evidences. And so, the first evidence that points to the resurrection is the empty tomb. Luke 24 says this. This is the angel saying, He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified and on the third day be raised again. The empty tomb, the fact that there is no body in the tomb, that you can't go to a place that the authorities couldn't go to the place and show the body and say, here's Jesus. That's a pretty good indication that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, it could be an indication of other things as well, and we'll talk about these right now, and often this is how people object to the empty tomb. They say, yeah, the the tomb was empty, but that doesn't mean that Jesus rose from the dead. And there are kind of three main objections to it. My favorite one is called the swoon theory. Say that with me, the swoon theory. Wouldn't you like to just be swooned? This was first proposed in the 1800s. And it's the theory that Jesus never really died. And so, therefore, he got out of the tomb because he was never dead to begin with. And it says that the shock from the loss of blood on the cross, his wounds and all of his suffering, sent him into some sort of like a semi-coma. Okay? And one of the things that we can understand is that There are times in history where people have thought someone was dead, and it turns out that they weren't dead. That's why the Irish got into the the tradition of, of the wake, where you waited a few days before they buried, because people would just drink until comatose, and then a few days later sober up. I'm pretty sure this is where the idea of the graveyard shift came in, because in some places, when they buried someone, they would tie a rope to their finger, and the rope would go up through the coffin and up out of the ground to a bell, so that if you actually buried someone who wasn't dead, then you would hear the bell when they woke up and come and get them before they suffocated. We're smart people, but we've made some mistakes in the past, and so Why can't we think that maybe Jesus was just, like, sleeping really, really good? Well, here's why. The fact is that the people who talk about some of these theories, they make sense until you actually look at the evidence. Until you actually think about it with logical minds. And the fact is that if this theory is true, if somehow Jesus walks out of the tomb appears to the disciples, and the disciples say, hey, he was resurrected. That means that Jesus successfully survived severe beating and the loss of blood of those beatings. Then crucifixion and further loss of blood, a spear being thrust into his side, which again drained more blood. He goes comatose. He goes into the they lie him in the grave. And then three days later... He wakes up without water. He hasn't had any water. He wakes up, is able to roll away the mass of stone, disarm and scare away Roman soldiers, well-trained Roman soldiers, well-armed Roman soldiers, then walk the seven miles to Emmaus on feet that have been pierced by nails and convince everyone, hey, I'm resurrected and see, I'm absolutely perfectly okay. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Furthermore, and this is one of the things that I love uh, about some of this stuff Furthermore, there is now medical science, today's modern medical science, that is showing us that Jesus actually was dead. And here's what it, it says: Dr. Alexander Metre, he has two doctorates, one in engineering and then a medical doctorate. He talks about the crucifixion as a slow death. Of suffocation that leads finally to cardiac arrest. That's how how someone would usually die with the crucifixion. Um, we won't go into a whole lot more detail. However, with that, and this part is from this book called The Case for Christ. And we have copies of this at the front door. And anybody who would like to do more research on the resurrection or other parts of evidence for Jesus, please take a free copy before you leave. This is what it says in this book. Metheral says, even before Jesus died, and for those of you who either get squeamish or don't understand medical phraseology, don't worry about this. It just means, uh, I'll explain it at the end. What he says is, the hypovolemic shock would have caused and sustained rapid heart rate That would have contributed to heart failure, resulting in a collection of fluid in the membrane around the heart, which just means so there's fluid buildup around the heart called the pericardial effusion, as well as there would have been fluid around the lungs called pleural effusion. And so there's this buildup of fluid as he's dying of suffocation and a heart attack. This buildup of fluid will have come around the heart and the lungs. Why is that important? Because when the Roman soldier comes, he thinks Jesus is dead. And so instead of breaking his knees to make him die quicker, he takes his spear and he shoves that through Jesus' side. The spear goes in through the ribs, through the lung, and pierces the heart. And so once it's pulled out, out comes the fluid that's been around those organs, and the blood. And that's absolutely consistent with what we read in the Gospel of John, where John says that water and blood came out. Now the cool thing is John's not a doctor. Luke was the doctor, John wasn't. And so John would have had no idea what he saw or why that was important. But he knew it was important, he wrote it down... God preserved it for us. And now, 2,000 years later, we have a doctor who is saying, yeah, and that's exactly what it would have been like if he was dead. If he was still alive, then the water and the blood wouldn't have come out in that gushing way. You would have had an arterial bleed. So, was Jesus just faking it? Probably not. But there's another objection. And this is the objection of the stolen body. The stolen body theory. Okay, so maybe Jesus was actually dead... and someone just took the body. It's possible, right? In fact, this is what the main conspiracy theory was. In Matthew 28, we read that the chief priests... had met with the elders and devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while you were asleep. And if this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Now, just so you know, the punishment for a Roman soldier to fall asleep on watch is death. And so for these guys... To agree to this, that sum of money must have been pretty good, and that safety net must have been pretty strong. So the stolen body theory someone stole the body. Well, who would have stolen the body? We have three options. Number one, the Roman government stole the body, number two, the Jewish authorities stole the body. Both of these don't really make a whole lot of sense because neither of them would have wanted people to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And if they had stolen the body for whatever reason, and then they realized that that was a a mistake, they could have easily brought back the body. And so there's the third option. Maybe the disciples stole the body. That's the claim, right? So let's just think about this for a second. Number one, the disciples have absolutely no motive to steal Jesus' body. They were not highly motivated To have the unspeakable privilege to live penniless evangelistic lives, wandering around for the rest of their lives, being beaten, whipped, thrown in jail, and put to death because of their belief for Jesus. Every one of the disciples was in a position to know whether or not Jesus had risen. If they had stolen the body, they would have known that it was a lie. And even if they had a really good conspiracy theory about why they would have stolen the body, they still would have known it was a lie. And you don't go to your death for a lie. People die for their faith all the time. But people don't die for their faith if they know that their faith is not true. And yet, these disciples were crucified, sawed in tortured... Because they believed that Jesus rose from the dead. There's a third theory out there. And it's the hallucination theory. The disciples were just so wanting to see Jesus again. That they had this like mass hysteria and hallucination. And believed that Jesus actually did rise from the dead. Well, there's a few problems with this, right? Number one. If it's a hallucination, then there would have actually been a body. And the authorities could have easily gotten the body out and said, No, you guys are crazy. This is Jesus. He's dead. Number two, hallucinations don't happen in large groups like that. It would kind of be like saying to people here, Hey guys, do you remember the dream that we all had last night? It doesn't work like that. And remember, Jesus appeared not just to like five or twelve guys. He appeared to over 500 witnesses. Number three, the disciples actually weren't expecting the resurrection. And it wasn't until Jesus actually was raised from the dead that they remembered that he had said it. They were completely in, in blanks. They were hiding. They were cowering. They were going back to their old lives. They were not expecting Jesus to come back from the dead. So what are we left with? The Bible records that more than 500 witnesses saw Jesus alive. Belief in the resurrection spread like wildfire. Timid fishermen and accountants suddenly became radically changed. And they refused to back down on their story of seeing Jesus raised from the dead. They held those claims under horrific torture. People like Peter who who were cowarding before a servant girl a few days before a few days later he was preaching to crowds that Jesus was resurrected Jesus had in essence said to the crowd I'll prove to you that I'm God by rising from the dead and that's what he did so the biggest evidence that we have is that the tomb was empty but it's not the only evidence we have second piece of evidence is the eyewitness accounts for time's sake we're not going to go into this too much but just remember what it said in 1 Corinthians 15 Jesus appears to the disciples he appears to 500 he appears to others like James and he appears to Paul he appears to all of these people in the Bible we have Multiple accounts of the resurrection. We have them from at least six different vantage points. From first person witnesses like John and Matthew. And then we have them from second person witnesses. Like Mark. Mark got his testimony from Peter. Luke did his research and talked to many witnesses and and found it from that. Paul had talked to others as well as experiencing Jesus' resurrection himself. The reference to the 500 people here, most of whom are still living, that just kind of like, is Paul sealing the deal here, saying, look, you don't believe me? Go talk to John. Go talk to this guy. Go talk to that girl. They've experienced it too. The third piece of evidence, probably the most Moving for me. It's the evidence of changed lives. Jesus says, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We see so many accounts in the Gospels and in, in the Bible itself of changed lives because of the resurrection. The fact is that for most of Jesus' life, the disciples were kind of dumb. that They were kind of dull people. like They just didn't get What Jesus was about. They knew it, but they didn't live it out well. And that's understandable. And so, before the resurrection, Jesus is arrested and what happens to the disciples? They all flee. Only a few actually get to the crucifixion. After the crucifixion, what happens to the disciples? Well, they go back to their everyday lives. They go back fishing. They hide in an upper room, scared that they're next. Mary Magdalene, she goes to the tomb on the first Easter sunrise with spices. Why? Not because she was expecting to see Jesus. She was expecting to see a body that she had to embalm. That's why she mistook him for the gardener. When the disciples heard the first eyewitnesses, they didn't believe them. When Jesus finally appeared to the disciples, their reaction is fear. They thought he was a ghost. Finally, he has to say, touch me and see. He had to eat in front of them. He had to show them his wounds. He made them breakfast, for goodness sakes. He was showing, look guys, I'm back. A few weeks ago, we talked about Thomas, the doubter. Thomas wasn't present when the Lord appeared to the first disciples. And he wasn't interested in buying Their story, he wanted to see it himself. Then fast forward, fast forward, and they experience the resurrection. They experience Jesus resurrected. And their lives are completely changed. One minute they're defeated, the next minute they're dynamic. One minute they are crushed, the next minute they are confident. One minute they're having a pity party upstairs, the next minute they're filled with faith. One minute they're paralyzed ready to call it quits, and the next minute they're out proclaiming to everyone that Jesus is alive. John Stott writes that the transformation of the disciples is perhaps the greatest evidence for the resurrection. What else would have made these cowardly men and women become so passionate, willing to risk their lives for the good news of Jesus Christ? And the fact is that historians would agree with this. They may not agree that Jesus rose from the dead, but they say something, something happened 2,000 years ago which started a movement that has carried on for over 2,000 years. Something happened that was so powerful. Something happened that was so life-changing that it created a world-changing movement. And one of those scholars who understands the truth, says this, the coming into existence of the church rips a great hole in history, the size and shape of the resurrection. There's a man named Simon Greenleaf. He was a Jewish professor and a great authority on evidence. How do you give evidence? How do you look at evidence? In fact, he was one of the, one of the leading scholars of this in the United States. And so once he was challenged by a student to investigate and apply his rules of evidence to the resurrection. And as a result, he became a Christian. And he writes this, All that Christianity asks of people is that they would be consistent with themselves, that they would treat its evidence as they would treat any other evidence of things, and that they would try to judge its witnesses as they deal with their fellow man when testifying to human affairs and actions in human tribunals. The result, if we did this, would be an undoubting conviction of the integrity, ability, and truth of the resurrection. So here's my question for you today. For those of you who are kind of on the fence, who are kind of saying, I'm just not sure about this resurrection thing, Brian. It sounds like a fairy tale. It's too good to be true. Let me tell you, it's so good because it's true. And the fact is, if it's not true, then we're just wasting our time here. And nothing else that Jesus said or did absolutely matters at all. And I want to give you the challenge to investigate it for yourself. As I said, we have some of these books at the front door. Pick one up, go through it. Ask some of these hard questions. But please don't just say, I'm not sure I believe it. And then just leave it. Give yourself the confidence by actually looking at the evidence. For those of us who are firm on the resurrection, how do we live out that faith? How do we live out that hope? Because the fact is that if Jesus rose from the dead, if Jesus is no longer in the tomb, then we serve a God who can do the impossible. We serve a God who raises from the dead. We serve a God who stole from death. And that doesn't create a complacent faith. That's it creates a faith that is so passionate to share that love and that grace and that truth with so many. It happened in the first century and it can happen today as well. How do we go out and say, you know what, Jesus is alive today. I've experienced him in my life, and I want you to experience him too. I want to invite you to think about that experience. Your own account of the risen Jesus touching your life this week. And how can you share that with someone else? Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your son. Dying on the cross, buried in a tomb but raised again three days later. Father, thank you that there was no body for the authorities to gather, that there was such a change in the disciples. Thank you, Lord, that you were doing a mighty thing then and you are doing a mighty thing now. Lord, we pray that you would help us to live our faith confident for you. May the power of your resurrection be our hope.